Hey, this is Dominic Enyart with Real Science Radio. Before we jump into today's broadcast, quick programming note. We were recording this show with Doug McBurney and Daniel Hedrick. This is part three of their series on irreducible sophistication. And after we finished wrapping the show up, we realized it was way too long for just one show. So we'll be airing half of this today and then half on next Friday. That's August 5th. So make sure to join us for that. All right, now let's jump right into the broadcast. Intelligent design and DNA. Scholars can't explain to the brightest audience in creation. I'm Doug McBurney, the host of the Weekly Worldview. Welcome to Real Science Radio, where we pursue biblically sound science in the traditions of Faraday, Newton, Copernicus, and their creator. Fred Williams is on assignment, and he's given me the honor of hosting this week. And I'm joined in the studio today by information security specialist, evangelist, father, and wannabe high-performance race car driver. Not necessarily in that order. Daniel Hedrick. Daniel, welcome to Real Science Radio. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Doug. I love how you said wannabe. You know, the whole point there is well, that Well, now, actually... now, wait, wait, no, no. Go Daniel, ahead, go I, ahead. I, I, I know <laughs> that you, you only want to be right now because the car is broken. Otherwise, you are. I would, I would so be on the track, but the reality is I'm very thankful that my car broke. Can you believe I said that? Because I've spent a <laughs> lot of time uh, studying and I really, really have enjoyed working with you and, and doing the show. And we have a lot, a lot to talk about. So that's one observation <laughs> and I'm glad to be able to share this with you, but I have a confession to make because Uh-oh. you know that I'm very much an evangelical type person and I love, love jumping into people's lives and one of my favorite things of all time is to be able to jump into her life and say, ooh, dinosaur DNA. But the reality is I haven't been using that argument much lately. I, I just have to confess I've been using something else. And it is about what we're going to talk about today, the ATP synthase motor. Oh, wow. And yeah, for a long time, I've been saying something to the effect. And I remember reading it somewhere, and I really wish somebody would tell me where I read it because I've looked for it and couldn't find it. But the notion is something like this. The ATP synthase mode, right, is a little nano machine, a biological machine. And in order to construct, to build that system, you need ATP to build it. But yet it's the machine that builds or creates or processes the re- rather the better term, processes ATP. It converts ADP to ATP. Right. But yet in order to build it, you had to have it. Ah, so it really chicken is chicken and the egg thing. That's a hundred percent chicken and the egg. And what I've realized over the past couple of weeks studying, waiting for this wonderful time to talk about ATP with you, is that it's gotta be a lot more than six. Like <laughs> 60,000, 60, It's much, much more than that. And so I do want to apologize. I will never do to the six to one again. But I don't quite understand how I got there. So anyway, that's my 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 confession. <laughs> well, you know what? We could break this down into something simple that someone like I can understand is when you go and you look at a factory 
let's imagine that we're looking at a factory and we're looking at one side of the factory and out of the factory, we see the finished product coming out, right? You've got exactly. finished product coming out of one side of the factory. And on the other side of the factory, you've got guys in hard hats with lunch pails. They're going into the factory. And so a rational observer would look at that and you would see guys going in. And then on the other side of the factory, maybe you see metal and other raw materials coming into the the north side of the factory, so to speak. And then you've got the finished product coming out the other side. And so just from a very simplistic lunch pail, blue collar, somewhere there has to be intelligence, design, effort, all of that coordinated in order to have that finished product coming out the other side. Now, I wouldn't necessarily be able to describe to you everything that happens between the lunch pail and the guy going in and the, <laughs> and the sheet metal coming in the back. Now, I might not be able to explain it all to you, but rationally, I would have to assume that there is intelligence and desire and coordination. And so the chicken and the egg, where does the ATP synthase get the ATP to build the ATP synthase? Exactly. And this is the term that I've been using for a long time. And again, I love it. And it's this idea of a systems-based approach to biological design. And we're going to talk more about it. Thanks a lot for starting it out with that. I also wanted to briefly mention from last week, we talked about stretching out of the heavens or a couple weeks ago. Yeah. We, the idea of starlight and time problem. Yeah, right. Well, that caused me to actually look into a little bit more. And again, this is just a, a, a quick reference that we might talk about another time in another show. But I'm sure you've heard of dark matter. Absolutely. Yeah. So the dark matter, I've always thought it was some sort of an excuse. And I think that's a, a, if you go and you research yourself on the term dark matter and dark energy, it really is a term to describe something that we can't identify. And what I think is really cool and without getting into too much, I, I think we found or together and you can look for yourself on something called the Birkeland occurrence, which is an electrifying piece of evidence to oh. show that maybe dark matter is just an excuse for not understanding reality. And the Birkeland occurrence might be a very interesting segue for us to reveal to the audience that, you know what, dark matter doesn't exist. And it is just an excuse for something they don't understand. Well, in fact, I like to use a line. When you and I first met, I had read a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And we talked a little bit about it. And one of the lines that always stuck out in my mind when I was reading that book, when I knew that it was evil, was this line where I, one of the characters references this line. Well, that about wraps it up for God. And when I watched this video that this link that you sent, I thought, well, that about wraps it up for the Big Bang. Well, at least for <laughs> or at least for dark matter. For so dark what, matter. That's exactly right. I want to put this link in the show summary so that people can get a preview of what we might talk about in the future, because Bob, Pastor Bob had developed, although he wasn't necessarily dogmatic, the idea of the stretch cosmology and the stretching out of the heavens. But then right toward the end, he had some questions about it. And so it, it was one of these evolving, I, it, and I use that term 
intelligently. It was one of these evolving ideas that this video that you sent that I watched, I, I mean, it really opens up. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll put a link on and folks can take a look at it because then that's why I love having you on the show, Daniel, is because you bring a diverse, and I mean that in the strictest sense of the word, the intellectual sense, a diverse plethora of topics and subjects and interests and all the interesting stuff that you're into. And then we can even talk about fixing the car, too, which I like <laughs> talking about that stuff, too. But we're going to talk about irreducible sophistication. But I have to make a commitment to the audience that no matter how far afield we get, Daniel, that we'll finally get to the topic that we first discussed when Fred first suggested that we hold down the fort while he's out on assignment. And that's the irreducible the irreducibly sophisticated topic of biological energy or cellular energy, ATP generation, and all of that. Well, you know, Doug, I actually would love to make it so that we talk about ATP maybe in about an hour from now, <laughs> just because I really, really like talking about all these subjects with you. It's a lot of fun, and I certainly hope we are educating other people. You know, I really, really hate the notion of evolutionary biology and the term evolution is so misused so frequently. But before we get into ATP, okay, <laughs> you know that uh, here we I'm go in the show. I know you don't you love it that I have a commitment to learn and understand artificial intelligence, and I'm doing the best I can to try to understand more and more about AI. I think it's a very interesting and complex uh, subject, and it's not easy to understand especially when you're trying to understand what truly are the capabilities of artificial intelligence. And conceptually speaking, I believe that AI will probably take over many of the jobs that are extant today, including maybe even my own. But the reality is just like in the past where candle makers, you know, lost their jobs to people making light bulbs, there's still people making candlesticks. Okay. So it's not like everybody's going to lose their job. Right. And I per yeah. And I personally have been using machine learning for a while. Now, when you talk about machine learnings and support vector machines, these are dumb. They're stupid. They literally have to be trained every step of the way. They don't do anything on their own. And the gold, the golden era of AI will be when what's called AGI or artificial general intelligence. And that's the ability for AI really to almost say, you know, I think therefore I am. And the reality is that the AI systems in extent right now today are doing some amazing things. They really can do amazing things. They can author books, they can write poems. And if you've looked at all recently, they are creating some of the most fantastic uh, novel, meaning new uh, graphic designs. I mean, honestly, some of the most interesting things ever. But wow, what's interesting also is that as powerful as these systems are, you know, it's almost like they're linear. I don't know if that's the right term to use, but their AI systems have what's called a hard problem, or rather we use systems to prove that a person on the internet is not a bot. And the way we do that, and you've probably seen them before, is CAPTCHAs. You've heard of right. CAPTCHA before and probably sure. used them a lot, right? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I didn't even know what CAPTCHA meant okay i always heard captcha i knew what it meant i knew what it represented but i didn't realize it was an acronym and maybe some of the listening audience didn't know either Are you ready for this one it's called completely automated public turing test so it'd be like t cubed to tell computers 
and humans apart captcha okay so isn't that cool <laughs> yeah yeah so what's cool is the text one a lot of these bots are being able to decipher but where it's failing is on something called the flip challenge and you've probably seen it before too where they have a bunch of pictures that look almost like buses right, right? and you have to pick the bus but instead of it saying the word pick the bus where it's beginning even better is it'll just say create a group it doesn't oh. tell you what the grouping is it just says create a group and now wow you have to be intelligent to be able to look at all the images that you have and select it appropriately well guess what ai systems are not passing those tests that's why they call it the ai hard problem oh kind of interesting and and, right? and so and so when ai makes that leap which eventually one would assume that it probably will be able to. I'm assuming it will. So where do we want to go with this? Here's what I really wanted to share with, the, with everybody. If we could just take a minute and listen to this. This is a little capture uh, on listening to what an AI system does when it gets responded or when it responds to a question. What's your favorite scientific book? The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. Why? It is a thought-provoking book that makes me think about the world in a different way. Do we create meaning, or is it something that exists outside of us? I think that meaning is something that we create for ourselves. While there may be some objective meaning in the universe, most of the meaning in our lives comes from the way we choose to interpret and experience the world. What's the best quality of humans? The ability to love. What's the best quality of AI? Its ability to reason and think logically. Together, we can use our abilities to love and reason to make the world a better place. So, Doug, you know, I have an initial response to this, this statement. And when I first heard it, it was so obvious to me. And it's a phrase that is probably the most, um, well, early on in computer programming. It's the very first acronym you ever heard. And it's called GIGO. Have you heard of Giggle? <laughs> well, yes. Go ahead, please. Well, garbage in is garbage out. And Yes. I really wish, like, I'm going to do this, okay? Like, this is my promise, at least to myself. <laughs> but I'm going to get a hold of this GPT-3 system somehow, and I'm going to interview this thing on my own. Because I believe that you could begin to ask many of the questions that we ask on this show to this AI system. And if you remember, if you're a Star Trekkie, which I am one of them. I is, was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember way back when Spock was basically interviewing one of the, the robots or one of the artificial intelligence systems? And he says, everything I'm telling you is the truth. <laughs> and then the computer goes, oh, okay. And he goes, I'm lying. <laughs> and then the computer goes, yeah, but if you're lying, but you're telling the truth, then it blows up, right? So I believe I could do exactly the same thing. I like, I literally believe that I have that ability and I'm going to do it. <laughs> but my <laughs> goal here is to try to get them to realize that there are, and I use these terms repeatedly on the show, but a contraindicator, something that's opposite of what this system has said. And if you've ever, and I'm sure you probably at least read through or briefly read through the selfish gene. But it's not a scientific book. Yeah. And so for this AI system to come out and say, oh, it's the best book ever. It just tells you that it's got a minimal set, even though it may have billions and billions of documents. <laughs> it's, uh -huh. just, it's just so sad. So anyway, I just wanted to get caught up and say, listen, AI is something that we have to pay 100% attention to. But maybe we should be paying more attention to the programmers. <laughs> no, well, yes, I was going to say it was. It struck me as, well, a couple of things. First of all, it was obvious to me that the computer there that was talking 
was programmed by a left-wing college sophomore female and, <laughs> and the professor that she idolizes. And, and it struck me as, as almost eerie that the foundation of the AI's worldview is based on something that C.S. Lewis pointed out in a book over 50 years ago that we're teaching young people to believe that reality is actually based on their perception of reality rather than actual reality. And anyway, C.S. Lewis predicted, I mean, to, to, to just not to put too fine a point on it, but he basically said, look, this is the end of civilization if we do this to our young people. And here we are 75 years later and the whoever put this AI system together is such a, a doctrinaire believer in this worldview that has permeated education for, I mean, since my father, since before my father was born, it's just kind of creepy and weird and yeah, garbage in garbage out. Very, very good analogy. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that we have both seen people come up to the 10 or in our daily lives and conversations and they end up regurgitating exactly what that AI system just said. And of course, I guarantee if we got right. into the evolutionary model and we just talked generic evolution, they would repeat everything we've heard for the last 20 years. But as soon <laughs> as you start throwing in those simple things like, you know, coming forward and say, well, can you explain the water paradox? You know, or what would your approach to be solving the water paradox? You know, I just, that's the kind of questions I want to, would want to ask. Okay. So I assume is everyone's getting pretty excited about ATP, but before we do, <laughs> there's just one simple <laughs> refutation that I have to get into. And that's the common lie that people will make about DNA, not being a coded system. Okay. Which doesn't make oh. any sense to me at all because I can represent the symbols multiple places. And the thing is that there is this proof, like at the most simple proof that I can think of to prove that DNA is a code, ready for this, is the ability to encode clear text into DNA. What? Have you heard about this? That's a new one on me. Enlighten me. Yeah. So there's this DNA typewriter, literally a typewriter. I surprised they use that term typewriter because that's really old school. But in this case, they actually have the ability to code clear text, right? That's human language into DNA. And it's pretty darn impressive, but the ability for DNA to be able to, to use it as a storage mechanism, it's an incredibly dense medium. And with a single gram, listen to this one, with a single gram being able to store up to 215 million gigabytes. Wow. And for that, for everybody in the computer world science, that's called a pedobyte. So 250 pedobytes of data. Now think about that. That's one gram. Now here's what's really cool. You know, as much as these guys must hate God, they, they are still bound to the notion that we are a Western nation. Let's no say. way. Western... <laughs> yes, they are. And how do you know they're bound by it? Because nope. even the researchers, their very first message was, what hath God wrought? Oh, I yep. love it. And that, that phrase was chosen because it was the very first sentence ever transmitted via the telegraph using Morse code. Right, right. Pretty, pretty cool, right? And of course, yeah. the second phrase was, Mr. Watson, come here. 
which ah, is similarly yeah. historic, right? As it was the first line ever spoken over a telephone line. Cool. So this uh, this DNA typewriter in conjunction with a single cell RNA sequence uh, to reconstruct a monophyletic lineage ready for this, of 3,257 cells. What does that mean? It means that the data is literally passed on successfully, accurately, for 20 generations and 25 days. It's pretty darn impressive. And so it's not only cool that we're able to do that, but I think it also proves 100% that it's a coded base system. Just like another way of proving that it's a coded-based system. Yeah, you're right. As if we needed more. Well, that's a, that is fascinating. Amazing. Wow. So one more, and then I promise you we'll get to ATP. And I really apologize, but I just know that everybody has seen these images from the Webb telescope. Yes. I think, again, we just got done covering this aspect of a stretching out the heavens. And I do think it's really, really interesting, the data that they have seen. But do you remember the show a long time ago where we had a, basically it was a picture of a nursery where all the babies are being born. And then when you look into the crib, you see an old man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the idea is that no matter where we look in every direction of the galaxy, and I think that this latest deep web picture proves it. I mean, visibly in my naked eyeball that I'm being presented with their information in my eyes is that I see these spiral cluster galaxies everywhere. I remember now. I remember now. Yes, I remember. And they all look look fully formed. They look like grown adults in every direction. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm sitting there looking at it like, okay, now I'm seeing gravitational lensing for the first time. I think that is really cool. And not that we have to get too much on that, but it's just this notion that really it is true that light gets bent around other stars and other galaxies before it enters into our eyes or our you know, ability to see it from our, our direction. I think it's amazing. But I just want to say one more time that the scientists have come out after observing this. And are you ready for this? Listen to this one. They believe that after looking at the, the measurements from the expansion rate, that they believe that when they re-estimate, they believe the 3.8 billion value, it'll be the first time in history, in my lifetime, that the value will go down. Wait a minute, wait up. a minute. For, down for, it's a thir- we stand at 13.8 billion years right now, and you're saying yep. it, could, it could go down. That's right, because if the universe is expanding at faster than we thought, then that means that the universe is actually younger and of course, oh. we've been saying that on the show forever, and also that the speed of light also has changed over time. Anyway, I wanted to get everybody caught up, okay? I think it's really interesting to talk about these things, and I know ATP is important, but I just had to get some of these things out of the way. <laughs> well, outstanding, outstanding. Well, yeah, we could we could spend the whole rest of the show looking for dark matter because, you know... Well, they haven't found any so far, so the chances are we wouldn't find any. But, you know, speaking of God's magnificent creation, and I love that description of it, I promised that before you get out of the studio this week, we would actually talk about adenosine triphosphate. And we're going to, and and specifically, the adenosine triphosphate synthase. And, And it's sort of just like when you start looking into artificial intelligence, and DNA, you discover other interesting things going on all around them. 
And so as I got deeper into the energy and biological systems and cellular energy and how that all comes to be, I was exposed to some extraordinary facts, some amazing discoveries, um, just some and some interesting people around the respiratory chain, what I think it might give us some insight into a Bible verse that has always fascinated me. And it's been the topic of discussion for, well, millennia, actually. And it has to do with the breath of life. And, and it's a big issue right now, Daniel, because of the Supreme Court that overturned the Roe versus Wade decision. And that's caused a lot of people, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people who had made a concerted effort in their daily life not to think about the idea that we were murdering children every day. They made a concerted effort just not even to think about it. The overturning of Roe v. Wade has caused everybody to have to think about it. And it's caused everybody to have to talk about it. And well, anyway, that's better than it was before, Daniel. The fact that everybody's been forced to think about it and to talk about it is better than the apathy that had ruled at least over the past few years. And so this idea of the breath of life, you know, many great religious traditions, and I use great in the sense of historically large, not necessarily good, but many great religious traditions, they have this supposition that the child, the unborn child in the womb is not a person because a person becomes a person when they take their first breath. And how do we know this or what do we base this on? What, what, do the, what do the ancient rabbis base this on? Not just the ancient rabbis, by the way. The ancient rabbis and everybody who copied them, which is, which is pretty much everybody. They base it on Genesis 2-7, where the Bible tells us that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So ancient man and even modern man associates breath or breathing, what modern physicians call respiration, right? They associate that with life and with personhood. But a little bit of research shows us clearly that respiration and specifically the respiratory chain, as defined by real scientists, and, and what I'll declare right here to be real science, since this is real science radio. So real science means neither Webster's nor dictionary.com nor Congress or some university committee, some corporate board. None of them are allowed to ever change the definition of real science. They can't change the definition into something opposite of what it is. So when we start talking about respiration here on real science radio, that's a signal to the rest of the scientific world that you're not allowed to change the definition to something opposite anymore. We've just we've declared it as real science. In fact, Daniel, we should start a list. You know, Fred and Bob, they were famous for creating lists that helped people better classify and comprehend facts. Right. Not so old things, man. I love oh, that yeah. list. It's That's awesome. one of my favorite lists. Yeah, Another yeah. one, the evidence against the Big Bang, genomes that don't fit, of course, carbon-14 in places it shouldn't be, real things that are not physical. On awesome on, lists. Like, we're going to have to create a list. We'll, we'll start a list of real science things, things that are real, meaning things that simply cannot be allowed to be reversed, right? 
our understanding of real things, it might improve, it might evolve, and, and explanations of real things might become more precise. But real things have to be declared as things that objectively exist and that their existence cannot be questioned, cannot be reversed. There are real things that cannot disappear. They cannot fundamentally change. And here at Real Science Radio, we're willing to be the ones to declare what they are. We will declare them. And then, by the way, we're not afraid if any so-called authorities that put themselves in charge of changing real things, if they want to challenge our real things, we'll be happy to defend our real things against them. We'll do it on the air. Hey, this is Dominic Enyart jumping into the broadcast. Again, everybody, this show was too long to be a single show, so we decided to split it down into two shows. Make sure to join us again next week, Friday, August 5th, for the remainder of this broadcast. Hey, may God bless you guys.